Yeah, my name is Nick Mastrude. I lead high school students and young adults here at the church. Shout out, crew. Are they up in here? Um, we're all just going to act like we're in high school today. Um, does that sound good? You feel a little less stiff, you know, a little more energetic? Let's go. All right, let's do this. Um, man, I'm excited to be here. Um, I think that, that this book um, just has so much um, life in it. I believe this is living and active and moving and breathing. I believe if taken seriously, this is gonna, this could be a very transformative moment as we open up the scriptures. So if you, if you would, grab one of these guys out of the um, pew, pew rack in front of you um, or pull one out on your phone. Uh, high schoolers, don't do it if it's gonna be a distraction. Um, note takers are world changers. Uh, and yeah, let's dive into this. Um, it's this time of year that we are reminded of the way in which God has chosen to save humanity. We're reminded like God came down, put on flesh and bone to come and rescue humanity. All of scripture points to the culmination of Jesus arriving on the scene, setting up shop to live among us. And in doing so, he dispenses hope and light into a world of hopelessness and darkness. And it's known as really, really good news for you and I. And it always boggles my mind that, that such a huge redemption story, it comes in the form of such fragile packaging, right? You hear like the height of all of existence, like everything that millennia after millennia have been pointing towards is here, it's coming, and here it is. You think it's like a, a knight in shining armor with like this mushroom cloud explosion, like, Jesus. And what is it? A baby, a baby, Jesus, God made flesh to rule and reign by the form of a humble teacher, rabbi, carpenter, Messiah from Nazareth. I pray that this Christmas season, that the message of hope would become more real for you. Because how many of you guys know that some of, the, some of the most cheesy things ever start happening around Christmas time, right? Some things that are very far removed from our everyday experience on this earth, right? There is a, there's a guy in a red suit that happens to know when I'm asleep or when I'm awake. Like, that's, that's weird. Um, we hark Harold. I don't even know who Harold is, right? We, we start do, saying words that are kind of interesting, and we just kind of go with the flow. Um, they seem very distant from our everyday reality. And, and my prayer is that this year it wouldn't be a mere season. It wouldn't be, oh, it's that time of year again. Let's just go with the flow of culture. Um, but my prayer is that this would be a time of refreshment around the fact that hope is to be had and peace is now acceptable through the person of Jesus Christ. I pray that you would be reminded that you have an anchor for your soul and that you have an anchor for your soul and it's found in Jesus and you will not find the deep soul level rest and peace that your soul desires and longs for until Jesus is in the proper place of your life. My goal for today, it's really twofold. First off, that the message of Jesus would fall afresh on you today. I think we all need that, to just sit in the reality of Jesus coming to rescue us, that you'd be reminded of the hope that we have in Christ and that it would maybe even recapture your heart in a new way today. And secondly, that you would take hold of the urgency of the gospel. When we get to know this and we become intimately aware of this, it does something within us where we're like, I can't just keep this to myself. I have to respond. I have to do something with this book. The message of Jesus is too good to just let it sit there. Our mission statement here is, um, what is it? All right, all right. <laughs> Um, becoming like Jesus, making him known. All right, you guys know that. That's what I'm talking about. We want to um, make Jesus known. Why? 
Because we believe that the life that we were created for will always be out of reach until it's found in Jesus. Like we believe life and life abundantly will never be found aside from Jesus. And if we truly believe like, man, life and life abundantly is found in Christ, then we will take seriously our call to go into the world with this message of hope. Would you agree? Okay, we're in agreement. Great. There are, there are two contrasting realities that we see all throughout scripture that I want to point your attention toward. And then, and then we're going to read a parable from Jesus, and then we're going to talk through some implications in our own lives. And these two realities are this, the inclusivity of the gospel and the exclusivity of the gospel. Maybe you're thinking, what, is he, what does he mean by this? Uh, let me go ahead and let me lay it out there for you. In brief, here's what I mean. The gospel is radically inclusive of all people. Every person, God, the gospel is radically inclusive of all people. But the life on offer is exclusively received through Christ. It's exclusively received and designated for Christ and Christ alone. So to get the ball rolling, I'm just going to read a bunch of scriptures. And I want you to look for the inclusive language in these texts. Sound good? Awesome. First one here in Galatians. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male or female for you are what? All one in Christ Jesus. That's radically inclusive language. John 3.16, the old classic. For God so loved who? The world that he gave his only son that who? Whoever. Yeah, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's radical inclusivity. In Colossians. There's no Greek, there's no Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free. But Christ is all and in all. What does all mean? All. No differences in people based on ethnicity or social status, radically inclusive. John chapter 5, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come to judgment, but has passed from death to life. Radical inclusivity. Romans, but God demonstrated his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is cool because it shows that Christ is inclusive of sinners. Is that good news for you and I? Oh, yeah. Matthew 11, come to me. Who? All you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. All people who are tired and burdened and need of a rest, a real rest, can come, can come and see. If you are here and have yet to hear the good news of the gospel or you're in my boat and you just need a good dose of that, let me just say, God has gone to great lengths to love you and I. God has gone to great lengths to love and to rescue you. From the beginning of time, God has actually been in desperate pursuit of you personally and let me just say, if you've been running from him, you don't have to clean yourself up and make your way back to him. Turn around and there he will be, open arms, ready to receive you, radical inclusivity. The gospel message, the good news is this reality that Jesus traded his righteousness for your sinfulness. Isn't that wild? His righteousness, your sinfulness, is that an even trade? Absolutely not, but that is why it's such good news. Jesus took on the hell he didn't deserve to give us the heaven we didn't deserve, and that's why we call it good news. It is too good to refuse. The yeah, let's, let's give God some praise for that. The, 
the posture that Jesus has for you and I is radically inclusive. And even further than that, Jesus actually has this posture not just towards you, but all of humanity. All of humanity, your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors, and even, this is going to might hurt a little bit, even your enemies, he has this posture towards them. And being followers of Jesus, we too are called to have this same posture, made in God's image, oh man, of loving people where they are. But something cool about Jesus is he loved people where they were at in life, but he loved them too much to just let them sit there in that. Jesus is in the business of putting broken pieces back together. And we all say amen to that because we have a lot of broken pieces. Would you agree? Yes, we, there is no shortage of brokenness in this world and in our lives. And I, I don't know what condition you came in here today with. I don't know if you're feeling like, man, I'm kind of beaten and bruised or broken or hurting or tired. Maybe you're overwhelmed. Maybe you're feeling a little anxious or numb. Maybe you just want this sermon to, to be over. But let me just say, whatever brokenness you're experiencing, Jesus doesn't shy away from it. The things that we don't wanna come face to face with, Jesus does not shy away from those things. In fact, he is in it with you. Emmanuel, God with us in the mess of it, in the heat of it. And the enemy is really, really good at reminding us of our broken past. I'm the first to say that's true. I have a broken past and the enemy loves to remind me of that. But in Jesus' name, we get to remind the enemy of what? His future. And guess what? Jesus has the last word and that is victory over sin and death. And that is good news for us. And although the scriptures talk about the inclusion of all people, there's also this, this reality of exclusivity. And I don't mean exclusive of people, but exclusive in the sense that Jesus is the only way. That's it. The only way. Jesus is the answer to our deepest soul longing. So like the, the old school Sunday school answer, what is it? Jesus. It's true. It's, it's Jesus. It always will be Jesus. The good news is found and received through Jesus and him alone. I want to read these next texts to you, and I want you to think and listen for the exclusive language here. John chapter 14, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Who? No one comes to the Father except through me. Through Jesus alone is the pathway to God himself. John chapter 3, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. There's language of this recreation or this rebirth in the person of Jesus. Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. This is an intense verse. Would you agree? The only way to enter the kingdom of God is by following the will of God. We don't know the will of God until we understand God's voice and grow into faithfulness to that voice, right? And the excuse here is, yeah, but I did really, really cool stuff in your name, right? I did cool stuff. And we see in this passage that doing really, really cool religious stuff isn't what God is after. He's after a relationship which can be had through Jesus himself. It's exclusive to Jesus alone. First John chapter 5, whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Um, you, you have life, you have death, and it's all contingent on who? Jesus. Yes, Sunday school answer, right? Matthew chapter 7. Enter through the narrow gate. 
For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few will find it. So lots of people go one way, a few people go the other. One leads to one life, one leads to the other. And which life does Jesus lead to? Eternal, all right. I asked that question weird, and you passed. That's what I'm talking about. As you can see, the gospel message is, is radically inclusive of all people, but at the same time exclusive in the sense that it's only, the only place hope is found is in Jesus. And let me just say, we, we are really good, especially in Portland, at talking about the inclusion part, the first part. And I think that's beautiful. I think that's really, really cool. But we're, we're like in this land of coexisting and the, the keep, like keep Portland weird, like the more different you are, the better, like all people belong. And I think 100% that this community should and does exude and radiates inclusivity. How many of you have experienced that here? Like, man, they've been inclusive here at Cedar Mill. I have experienced that here. Um, this is a high aim for us. But we believe, we, so we believe it's built into us that it, it, we're radically inclusive. But at the same time, we are called to be a community who is unwavering about the fact that Jesus is the focal point. Jesus is what matters. We eat, sleep, and breathe who Jesus is and what he was about in this world. Because without him, there is no life. And what this does in us, if it's like life is only found in Jesus, it wells up within us this urgency. If Jesus is the only way, then we best be giving people Jesus with our life and our resources and our circumstance. When people encounter Cedar Mill Bible Church community, I pray that they leave the conversation not only feeling included and seen and cared for, but also getting a genuine taste of who Jesus is and what he was about in this world. Um, Jesus commonly taught in the form of stories. These are also known as parables. And I want to point your attention to one if you'd flip with me to Luke chapter 14. This gives us a glimpse of what the kingdom of God is like. It is a story of a banquet or a party, and there are so many kingdom implications here that I want to, to consider here. Luke chapter 14, verse 15. I'll give you a second. Here's what it says. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he, Jesus, said to this man, he told a story, he said this, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many people. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I have to go examine them. Please, give, please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant, right? So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servants, here's what I want you to do. Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city. Bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. And the servant said, sir, what you've commanded has been done and still there's room. And the master said to the servant, go out even farther. Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of the, those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. What we have here is a party that people are invited to. How many like parties out there? <laughs> yes, yes. 
If you're on staff here, it is always a party. If Dave's in charge, it's going to be a party. It's going to be a good time. If you get the invite, he's like, ha, ha. No. If, if you get the invite to this luxurious time, you're excited, right? You're like, oh, I got the invite to this banquet. But how many of you know that get, getting an invitation is only half of the process? You don't re reap the benefits of the invitation until you show up to the party. Okay, so saying yes to the invite and showing up are two very different things. And these people, historically, this is actually a, a thing where they had been invited, they knew about this invite, and they didn't decline until push comes to shove. Until it came time to showing up, they, they didn't want to. They became, became, uh, began making excuses. They start listing these off. And I think the questions that, that we ask is why are, in the world are they making such lame excuses to not show up? Historically, you'd never buy a field until you'd seen it. And historically, these are ridiculous um, excuses. Do they understand what they're forfeiting? This is where my mind goes, like, they're crazy. Why wouldn't they lean into this, into this banquet? But then you think, oh, yeah, isn't this like me in so many ways? Like, we are invited into all that God has for us. And then there's the inconvenience of showing up that we've all been in. And excuses start popping up in the text but they all alike began to make excuses. This might push back a little bit on some of us, but what is your go-to excuse for not pursuing God's kingdom? I know I have mine. My guess for you is that you haven't recently bought a few oxen or a field, but my guess is that you have excuses that commonly hold you back um, from showing up time to time. Maybe for you, it's busyness. You're like, man, I would follow you, Jesus, but it really does not fit in my calendar. Or you're like, man, man, it's my job. Like if I had a different job, then I would follow Jesus. Or like my season of life or my circumstance, I just, I just simply cannot follow Jesus in the middle of this life, right? Or maybe you're thinking, when I get done with school, then I'll really lean in. Or like when my kids get out of the house and we live into that empty nester life, then you can have my life, Jesus. Or maybe you're like, my life is just too good right now to leave behind. Like this banquet sounds legit, but I've, I just got married. You know what I'm saying? I'm staying right here. What is your excuse? What is an area of life that is holding you back from sprinting towards Jesus, sprinting towards the banquet, sprinting towards the kingdom of God? What we can pull from this is this reality that, that, that the kingdom of God is both a feast and a funeral, right? It's a feast and a funeral. It's a, it's a joyful celebration. It's a party without cares or concerns, all your needs being met. But something needs to be left behind if you're going to run towards this kingdom. It's a death to your previous agenda in exchange for life in the kingdom of God. When you say yes to one thing, if you say yes to hang out with one friend, you're saying no to hang out with uh, many other friends. You know what I'm saying? But when you say yes to Jesus, it's a thousand other no's that leads to one massive life. Let's continue in the text. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servants, go out quickly. I love that language. Hurry, go. Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, sir, what you've commanded has been done and still there's room. So the master says to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. This is such a beautiful picture of the inclusive gospel. Invite anybody, everybody, let's get them here. Let's fill this house. Let me just say that God's kingdom has an invite culture. God's kingdom has an invite culture, and Jesus embodied this invite culture. What did he say to the disciples just before they dropped everything and started following him? 
He invited them. He said, come, follow me. Come and see. Come, come join me. Come, come and follow me. And when we accept this invitation, we too become people who are tasked and called to hit the streets in our workplaces, in our schools, in our families with a simple invitation. Come and see. You've got to see this. Come check this out. You're invited. Come join us. You can't miss this. Life and life abundantly is held on the other side of this invitation. Grace is on offer for you. Come and see that the Lord is good. You might think that what you're being offered is good, but just come and try. Come and taste and see. This is, the, this is where life is found. Practically speaking, if we're going to invite people into what Christ has for them, first we have to see people. Right? If I'm going to invite you, if I'm going to invite Prasad somewhere, I'm going to get on his level and I'm going to invite, I'm going to ask him a question. Hey, man, you should come join us. You can't extend an invite to somebody without first seeing him or her. You can't invite somebody into a, a kingdom or a party that you don't first notice, that you don't first acknowledge, that you don't first take the time to get on their level. Can I submit a question to you and to myself this morning? Do you notice the people around you? What extent, what do you do to notice the people around you? The kingdom of God gives us this new lens to view the world from, and it's one of noticing people. It causes us to have a heart for the city and the hedges and the highways and the bridges and the cubicles and the classrooms and the pubs and the city. What if this year you chose to see things from a kingdom perspective where people you wouldn't otherwise notice all of a sudden become visible and you have a heart for those people? Let's live like the harvest is ripe for an invitation and God's kingdom still has room. There's still a place at the table. Becoming like Jesus and making him known, it looks like inviting people into your life and then offering them Jesus because you know true life is found in him and him alone. You don't have the power to give people life, but you sure do have the power to point towards the one that can give them life. And we have that task. We have that calling. This Christmas season... How can you inhabit an invite culture? How can you inhabit, how can you possess, how can you own this invite culture where you just simply say, come a little bit more strategically, but come and taste and see that the Lord is good? How can you practice truly seeing people? We have a calling to use the situation that is in our lives, to use this life setting that we're in, good or bad, to use the resources we have to invite people to point towards Jesus. We're tasked in a very real way to point towards Jesus. What are we? We're Jesus pointers, right? Over that way. The kingdom of God is this way. Come on, let's go. Isn't it crazy to believe that a simple, a simple invitation could result in someone experiencing salvation and life in Christ? Dude, that's where the urgency comes in. That's where we're like, dude, we've got to do something with this. And if you're anything like me during the holidays, we have ample amounts of time with people and family and friends, most of whom who are far from God and who have yet received the memo that grace is on offer for them too. They haven't received the invitation yet. They don't know that reality yet. Don't miss that opportunity. Inhabit this invite culture. Another reality we see in this parable here is that that God, or in this text, the master values presence over productivity. Here's what I mean. The people being invited, they couldn't really offer the kingdom much, could they? They go out to, they were outcasts, 
on the fringes of society for a purpose, socially, economically, physically, they didn't seem to have a lot to offer the world at that time. But this is good news. Receiving much in return isn't the heart of the master, and it isn't the heart of God. Here's where we get a clear glimpse of the kingdom of God. God would rather you be present with him than productive for him. I think for sure when you are present with him, it instills productivity in you, but man, God would way rather you be present sitting there with him, man, Mary, Martha, present with him than being productive for him. You don't have to earn this gift to be there. You don't have to bring a huge bouquet. Nothing will amount to the gift that we receive in him. There's actually nothing we can do. But my encouragement is this, fight to be present with the father this Christmas season. Fight to be present with the Father this Christmas season. Don't allow the modern pace of Christmas season. Anybody stuck in that before? The modern pace, like go, 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 Black Friday, let's go. Don't allow the modern pace of Christmas season rob you from the intimate and intentional time that you could be spending with God. Don't, like before we rush in, into this year, let's begin, let's pause, maybe you're like before, I already did that last month. Let's pause for a moment and ask ourselves, what can I do this year to stay present with the Father and present with the people around me that he loves so much? What can I do to stay connected to him? What can I do to really see and be present with the people around me that he truly loves, the people that he is targeting? The truth about God's kingdom found in this parable is this reality. God has space at his table. Any introverts ever uh, walk into a room? It's a little packed. There's not room for you. And what's your first response? You want to get right out of there, right? God's kingdom isn't like that. You walk in, my people, right? You're comfortable in your own skin. There is space for you in God's kingdom. There is space for you. You didn't do anything to earn the invite. You were just asked to show up. God has space for you personally, personally, you. There's a spot at the table with your name on it. And when you come to believe that God is gone out of the way to make sure there's a place for you, it fuels your desire to make space for other people. Like, if we're, let's take a step back, though. If we're being honest, it's a lot easier to make space at our table for people who have something to offer us, isn't it? Right? Like, people who are like us or people who can make us laugh or people who can make us look good or, 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 or people who can make us feel good about ourselves, or people who are like low maintenance, like they're not gonna cause any drama, like we want them here because we ain't doing drama this year, you know what I'm saying? Or like, like, like people who maybe serve us in some way, like you fill in the blank. In this parable, get this, the master targeted people who had nothing to offer him in return. Like the master wasn't getting any social points, he wasn't getting, like people weren't giving him dollar bills as they were walking in. God targets people who have nothing to offer him in return. Let's think this through. Who are you making space for? Do you create space for and engage with people who have nothing to offer you in return? It's when we inhabit that, we inhabit God's kingdom culture. Is there space at your table? Is there room for people who might otherwise not be there? The hospitality of the kingdom of God is making sure there is always an open seat at the table. As we begin to wrap up a little bit, don't shift gears in your mind yet, but I really want to lean into this last portion of the, of the parable. It says this, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come that my house may be filled. Go out to the fringes of society and compel people. Lean into that 
compel people, draw into their hearts, cast a vision that is so compelling that they can't help but respond. Do you know the most compelling thing in the world, the most compelling story of the world is? What compels us? Let's look at 2 Corinthians here. For Christ's love, that's compelling. It's not compelling to be like, here, here, now it's in your court. Like, take the invitation, and now it's in your court. That's not compelling. I'll tell you what's compelling. I see you. I think Jesus loves you and has a message for you. And there's this deep love that, that you might not be experiencing yet. And life and life abundantly is found when you lean into this. Here's this. You know what I'm saying? Because I've seen so many times. Here's Now, absolutely, it's in their court. But what's going to be the most compelling vision of that is Christ's love. Christ's love, the thing that compels us to leave this place and go into the highways and the hedges is not duty, like duty, and it's not guilt, but it's rooted in Christ's love. That's it. So maybe you're thinking, man, I don't know if I'm ready to go to the hedges. Let me just say, rest in Christ's love in such a way that you're compelled that you can't do anything with it but go out to that place. May this year be marked by love. May you rest in the love of Christ and allow his love to be the thing that mobilizes you into this world. May we not reach people with, with lofty speech or, or hidden agendas, but with the simple reality that people are deeply loved by God, and they may have missed that memo. It's love that compelled Jesus to people who were far from God. It was love. May the love of Christ compel us. May it stir something deep within us today most compelling example of love in human history is Christ's love, and that was displayed on a cross, right? For you and I, the great exchange, our sins, his righteousness traded for ours. One thing we do every week to worship, sometimes we worship God through music, sometimes we worship him by saying, God, I trust you with finances, and one of the ways that we worship God is by staring this compelling reality in the face. Jesus, you love me so much. On that cross, there you were, brutal. I needed to be in that place, but you took that place for me. Oh, that's compelling. Jesus, you have my life. Thank you for giving me yours. My life now belongs to you. And what it does when we stare at this communion, this, this reality, is it captures our hearts. It recaptures our hearts. So what we're going to do we're going to fix our eyes onto that compelling message. We're going to, there's, there's tables in the front and the back, and there's like a little cracker and a juice, and this is just a physical way to, to lean into the reality and understand, Jesus, your life was given for mine. I'm going to receive the life that you have given me. I'm going to receive that life. I'm going to, I'm going to grasp onto that message. I'm going to grasp onto that love. Let's stare love in the face this morning as we take communion. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you so much um, that you just didn't leave us to fend for ourselves, but you sent um, just a, a lowly baby that was going to grow up and cast a vision of what it means to live into your kingdom and what it means to truly live. God, we're thankful, that, we're thankful for your scriptures. We're thankful that life and life abundantly is found in you. God, we fix our eyes on the compelling reality that you gave your life for ours. And for that, we are forever grateful. And for that, we can't help but be messengers and people who point towards the banquet, the great banquet, the kingdom of God, the life in Jesus. God, help us to be strategic this Christmas season. 
to invite people, to call people, to point people, to lovingly bring Jesus to people that they may be compelled and to respond. God, we want more of you in this place. Have your way in our hearts as we fix our eyes on everything that you've done, Jesus. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. It's in Jesus' name that we take communion. It's in Jesus' name that we worship. Amen.